Hello, IABC members, and welcome to the latest episode of the IABC Edmonton podcast. Hi, my name is Michael Brito. I am a digital strategist, and I also am a GM at Lewis Global Communications, located in San Francisco, California. As consumers, we trust and we find people like ourselves to be more credible than the brand and the content that they're pushing out. The IABC Edmonton podcast is a great way to sharpen your professional skills and learn some new ones. So employee advocacy and what I call participation marketing is this idea that brands need to mobilize their stakeholders to participate and tell the brand story simply because there is a trust factor and a credibility factor that employees have that brands don't. Sounds like a great topic. Let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the IABC Edmonton podcast. I'm your host, Marvin Polis. I'm one of the past presidents of IABC Edmonton and currently president of Stimulant Strategies and Stimulant Media Productions. I'm here at the latest IABC Edmonton professional development session, and it's just wrapped up. It's, it's here at Nate, and Nate has been kind enough to sponsor the event. And with me now is our keynote speaker. His name is Michael Brito. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Now, Michael Brito is a digital strategist. He's a TEDx speaker and an adjunct professor with 20 years of experience in digital marketing and public relations. He's the head of U.S. Digital Marketing and Senior Vice President of Lewis Global Communications. Well, sounds like uh, you've been around the block. I am very busy with 20 plus years of experience. I'm glad to say that I started my career when I was 12. <laughs> of course. Now, Michael, you presented uh, a really interesting uh, topic this evening, and that's uh, employee advocacy, mobilizing employees to tell the brand's story. Tell us, uh, you know, first off, just a bit of a summary as to where you went with this. Every brand has stakeholders. Their stakeholders can include customers, influencers, the media, um, but they can also include internal stakeholders like employees. And a lot of the data points that I shared tonight focused on trust and credibility. And as consumers, we trust and we find people like ourselves to be more credible than the brand and the content that they're pushing out. So employee advocacy and what I call participation marketing is this idea that brands need to mobilize their stakeholders to participate and tell the brand story simply because there is a trust factor and a credibility factor that employees have that brands don't. Now, you had talked about uh, paid advertising, and there was a day when paid advertising kind of ruled the marketing force. And things have changed now, and it's because, as you said, people trust people. They don't necessarily trust companies. Well, paid media, is, it'll always be around. And I, as I said earlier this evening, if you're embarking in social media or have a program in place, you have to have paid media. Otherwise, you're just not going to reach the audience that you desire. The idea of employee advocacy augmenting what I would consider paid reach is simply because the social networks have declined um, the, the, the impressions around unless you're paying for it. And so if you can activate groups of people, um, you then begin to reach people that you wouldn't normally reach unless you paid for it. So you can begin to see an ROI and cost savings simply by mobilizing groups of people to communicate on your behalf. Okay, Michael, so paid media, social media, it's not really an either-or thing, is it? No, it's definitely an and thing, simply because you have to still invest in paid media because the targeting in, in, in social, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn, is dynamic, and you can really target at the interest and at the person level if you wanted to. And so with augmenting employee advocacy, you can be smarter about the investments that you make in driving 
awareness or clicks or sales or conversions using paid media. Then what is employee advocacy and how do you actually implement it effectively? Employee advocacy is a process where a brand trains and mobilizes employees at every level from your CEO and other C-suite executives all the way down to interns to participate in industry conversations and share the brand story. Not in a way that's robotic or spammy, but in a way that's human, authentic, but also aligns with the broader narrative of your company. So it's more than just sharing a corporate post. 100% more than sharing a corporate post. Typically, most employee programs start that way, where you have a, a multitude of branded content being published, and employees are sharing it on their personal LinkedIn channels or Twitter or Facebook. Um, and that's great, it's a great start. But the more sophisticated companies are activating employees to be storytellers and content creators. So they're creating podcasts like this. They're creating webinars, they're speaking at events, they're writing blog posts. These are more sophisticated ways of looking at employee advocacy. Is it realistic for employees to do this? And, and how hard, how easy is it? It's realistic for companies that have a strong culture. If you try to employ a program with com at a company with a culture that's lacking in employee engagement, it's going to be very difficult. You cannot ask an, an unhappy employee to participate in an employee program. For those healthy organizations who are um, have open and transparent cultures, it's very easy to do this because they're probably already doing it. You're just assigning and applying governance and training and a little bit of narrative around it to make it more aligned with your brand. Okay, so are you saying then that, uh, let's say we're talking about a mining company, and of course there would be geologists and geophysicists working for a mining company. Are you saying that the geologists should have, have a really good understanding of the business objectives of the company and should be maybe doing posts on geology blogs? I think all employees, regardless of where they work or what they work in, should have an understanding of the company's vision and business. That being said, a geologist doesn't necessarily have to write on a, on a, on a third-party geologist blog, but I could, it would be a great opportunity to write about geology and could be used for recruiting purposes to recruit other geologists out of college at a specific mining, mining company. So really, it depends where you are in the organization and the specific contribution that you might be able to make. It's about personalization. So every employee is going to have a different story based on where they work, what they do, where they live, and what they're interested in. Understood. Now, there are a couple of other things that you talked about in your presentation. I want to hear you talk now about influencers, ambassadors, employee advocates, and consumer advocates. What are the differences between these? I'd like to start off by talking about the 1990 model really quick. The 1990 model was this concept um, and created back in the mid-90s, and it was really around how people published to the internet, where 1% of the people were publishing and everybody else was consuming. It's very much applied to the way we look at audiences today. So in any given market, there's 1% of that market who is driving the conversation. They are the influencers. It's the media, it's journalists, it's bloggers, etc. 9%, I call them the audience. They repackage influencer content, they provide their own context and point of view, and they share it. The 90% is the audience, it's the customers, it's the broad market. They are consuming what the 1% and the 9% share. They rely heavily upon search and word of mouth. They basically determine what's relevant from the 1% and 9%. So when I think about employee advocates, they are part of the 9%. They are, uh, they are people who are repackaging and sharing information. In some cases, some of your employees might be an influencer if it's the CTO, 
or if it's the chief data scientist or a chief geologist, that person is going to be very influential. And so I, I, I categorize the market in those, looking at the market in those three lenses because it's easier to pull data from and it's also easier to build programs that employ each of those three groups of people. Another thing that you talked about is amplification. Tell us what you mean by that. When I think of, of amplification, it's this idea that brands have resources at their disposal. They have large communities on Facebook. They have paid media investments. They have paid media dollars. And so when we think about amplifying employee-driven content, what I'm saying is, is a brand should leverage that employee content on the branded channels. Maybe put some search engine marketing behind it, some display advertising, maybe put some paid social behind it, because that content is more trusted and more credible that because it's created by an employee versus created by a creative director who works for the company or an agency. We're talking a lot here about employees, uh, you know, being authors and that sort of thing. How do you actually incentivize employees to uh, create these, these messages, create this content? It's very much like a newsroom, right? When you think about authors and content creators. In any newsroom, traditional newsroom, you have editors, assignment editors, you have journalists, you have video producers, you have creative directors. And when you think about your brand, and the fact that it needs to produce mass amounts of relevant content, you can think of your employees as editors, assignment editors, video producers, creative directors. And the incentives around adoption is really revolves around recognition, right? So recognizing for hard, the hard work and the great content that employees are creating. It's recognizing that you may write a piece of content that drives 10,000 visitors to a website. Um, there's things called gamification and leaderboards where it really drives a healthy competitive spirit to get employees to want to participate. I'm going to take us back to the 20th century now and bring up this idea of control. I mean, how can you really trust employees, kind of a devil's advocate question here is right, it's, it's how can you trust employees to get the message out in the way that you would want them to get the message out? I mean, there was a day when the spokesperson was the spokesperson and that's it. Nobody else would say anything. Well, that is already happening. So employees are already talking about whether or not they like the company they work for, they like the products or not. And so what you do with, with operationalizing an employee program is you put the training aside, the governance, so that when they are talking about a product, a service, the company, the CEO, they're doing so in a way that's in alignment with what you want. That being said, when I say control, um, there are still companies today that operate in this control and command environment. And those companies are the ones that are not being successful and employee retention is, is low. You have you know, people leaving, you have negative glass door reviews because they, they are trying to dictate everything. And so the onus is on brands today and leaders to really open the culture and provide, and, and provide more control to employees because they already have it. If you block off internet or social media access on a company computer, they still have their mobile device. So you cannot block that. And so by embracing it, and training, the rewards continuously outweigh the, the potential consequences and, and critical success factors. Now, are you noticing that employees actually want to do this sort of thing? I read a report that said 56% of employees want to participate in employee programs, yet 75% of the companies don't have them. So yes, they're open. They're willing, as, as long as they're not, there's not a message of control that they need to share content that they don't necessarily find relevant. So there has to be compromise in both ways. Great. Now, Michael, any final thoughts before we wrap up? Yeah, I would just end this conversation and podcast really by saying, you know, 
If you're thinking about deploying an employee program, start small. Identify 5, 10, 15, 20 internal influencers or people who already have a proficiency in social media. Train them, establish some best practices, determine KPIs, and then revisit in three months. Do you have any key learnings that you can use to scale? Um, the companies that start small and grow are the ones that are successful. And I just want to draw attention to the fact here that you did use the word influencers. So what you're suggesting here, just to be clear, is not that they should be writing stories from the corporate LinkedIn account, so to speak, but they're doing it on their own accord, right? 100%. They are influential within their own circle of influence. Everyone has influence, different levels of influence. If you can find the employees who have that level of influence, those are the ones that you want to start with because those are the ones that can make the most immediate impact. Michael, this has been fantastic. Where can IABC members learn more about you? Well, I use LinkedIn quite a bit, so you can look me up on LinkedIn uh, with my first and last name, Michael Brito, or find me on Twitter at Britopian. It's B-R-I-T-O-P-I-A-N. And I usually engage um, in, in very in-depth conversations pretty much all the time. Thanks again, Michael. Thank you. Thanks again for joining us for the IABC Edmonton podcast. I'm your host, past president Marvin Polis. Be sure to join us next time.